listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Well, welcome to Risen Life. I'm so so glad that you're here this morning. If you're, uh, I don't know if we have any visitors this morning, but if we do, then uh, thank you for joining us. Um, Megan's back from Thailand. We're so thankful to have her back in our fellowship um, and look forward to hearing uh, how God used her over there um, this summer. At the same time, Caleb, this is his last Sunday, so we're, we're gaining one back and, and then we're losing two, I guess. We're losing, uh, losing uh, Caleb and Ashley, so um, I, I think they'll be headed out uh, today or tomorrow and... Uh, and uh, on to Nashville to do, do great ministry there. So uh, please be praying for them, certainly, as they make that move. Um, but if, you're, if you are uh, visiting today, you've caught us in the middle of a, a mini-series on gospel-centered relationships. And uh, today we're actually in part three talking about gospel-centered marriage. Uh, this is all part of a larger study uh, going through the book of 1 Corinthians. So can everybody keep that straight? That's, that's a lot to remember. <laughs> we got a mini-series within the series going on here, um, and we're talking about one topic in that mini-series. So, uh, and this is week three uh, of talking about marriage. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <clears throat> um, I don't think there's any, any uh, kids left in here, but as I said... A few weeks ago, some of the topics today will be a little bit more sensitive, maybe for younger ears, especially the kind of the first first part of this. So, uh, we do have a, I think some extra people helping out in nursery today uh, to be able to take care of that. And if you're listening on the podcast, just something to be mindful of that there might be some some stuff that's a little sensitive to to younger ears. So, um, the past two weeks, we, we've been working our way through. Five characteristics of a gospel-centered marriage. So five characteristics of a gospel-centered marriage. So far, we've seen uh, two of these, and and we're going to discuss two more this morning. But so far, we've talked about how if if we want to have a gospel-centered marriage, a marriage that honors Christ, a marriage that brings true and eternal fulfillment to our lives, uh, we need to understand a couple of things. First, a gospel-centered marriage is, is meant to paint a picture of the gospel. That's, that's kind of the point. It paints a picture of the gospel. We, we, we talked about that at length a couple of weeks ago. Then last week we talked about how gospel-centered marriage is a partnership um, in the spreading of the gospel. So a partnership in the spreading of the gospel. Um, these two truths are really essential to having a marriage that honors Christ um, and that brings lasting fulfillment. Uh, the world ought to be able to look at, at a marriage between Christians and see a beautiful picture of Christ's great love for His church. Uh, this picture of, of unconditional love and, and, and unconditional service towards each other uh, should cause the world to, to look at that and, and crave a relationship with, with Christ, to wonder what, you know, what's different about that couple. Um, so I have to ask our, our married couples this morning, um, would that describe your marriage? Are you painting that picture appropriately um, of the gospel in your own marriage? 
Uh, last week we focused on the partnership for the spread of the gospel. Every aspect of your marriage, every aspect should have the central thought uh, in mind of how are we using our marriage to spread the truth of God's word. Amen? I mean, that, that is primary to our Christian lives. It's not like we, we, we kind of separate that when we get married. No, we take that with us into our Christian lives. Um, and it, it is our, our, our primary focus is how do we spread the truth of God's word through this marriage now. Um, this is where I think many Christian marriages get it wrong. Um, because the marriage itself becomes the end all, be all, rather than the spreading of the gospel. Um, in fact, um, some of the single people in here uh, might be thinking, you know, I really don't, I, you know, I want Jesus to come back, but I kind of want him to wait until I get married. Right? Any, any single person ever had that thought? I remember uh, sinfully having that thought as a single person too. That Yeah, I just want to get married first, Lord, right? Um, so, I, you know, I think uh, maybe, maybe uh, we, we, we put marriage on this pedestal, and certainly it's something to be um, honored and, and, and appreciated, and it is a gift from God, but we, we can make it a God if we're not careful. We can make it a God as, as single people looking forward to it and as married people uh, being in our marriages. We can make it um, our God. And so, so we have the tendency when we get married to just kind of want to close up into our little marriage bubble and let's focus on you and me. Let's just focus on each other, solely focus on each other. Um, and then before you know it, you're five years into your marriage, you've really done nothing to spread the gospel of Christ um, because you've been so focused on your true idol, which is your marriage. Um, the, the problem only gets worse when you have children. Um, there's a tendency to make them your everything, to make them an idol, certainly when you have kids, and, and we certainly want to love and, and cherish our children, but they're not our God. They cannot become our God. Uh, the New Testament really is, is saying that um, our marriage, our marriages and our families, uh, they're, they're tools to reach people for Christ. That's primarily what they are. That's a primary, that's a primary function of your marriage to support each other in the evangelizing uh, to the world about the hope that we have. Um, so if I want my marriage to please the Lord, my spouse and I really must constantly be asking ourselves, how are we using every resource we've been entrusted to for the gospel? How are we using every resource for the gospel? How are we supporting each other to use our gifts and talents to edify the local church? You know, so again, um, I ask married people, is the spread of the gospel primary in your marriage? I ask single people that too. Is the, is, is the spread of the gospel primary in your life? Because if it's not now, it certainly won't be when you get married. Oh, but that's kind of the challenging question we, we've all got to ask ourselves. Do you see marriage as this great partnership, this great help in, in spreading the good news of Christ? And so all that's a very brief review. Um, if you're interested in any more details on, on those first two points, check out uh, the podcast. But let's go ahead and move on this morning to a third characteristic of gospel-centered marriage, and that is that a gospel-centered marriage protects the gospel inside the home. So um, you're, you're seeing a theme here. The gospel is central to each of these points, right? Uh, the gospel-centered marriage is concerned about protecting 
the gospel in the home. And this is where we'll actually get into more of the specific text in, in 1 Corinthians 7. We've been in several other passages. Uh, we're going to hone in a little bit more on 1 Corinthians 7 today. Um, not only should our marriages paint a picture of the gospel and, and be a partnership to spread the gospel, we also must protect the gospel in our homes through our marriages. That's done in a variety of ways. Uh, but Paul really addresses one very particular way here in, in chapter 7. Um, each of us, whether we're single or married, each of us is charged with protecting the gospel in our own lives by living lives that reflect the gospel. Amen? Amen? As you're calling as a Christian to live a holy life, um, to protect the reputation of of the gospel. We are ambassadors um, of Christ, and we've been given this ministry of reconciliation to represent and to uphold. Um, that means each of us must be concerned about our holiness, about looking different from the world in terms of sin. If you haven't noticed, the world is waiting for you, Christian, to fail and to mess up and to sin. Um, the world is waiting for us uh, to fail so that they can look at us and say, you hypocrites. You see, Jesus is nothing special. I don't need Him. You do the same things I do. Why would I need Jesus? You know, I've used this quote uh, many times, but I love this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. D.L. Moody once said, Out of a hundred men... One will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. That's true, guys. Most people aren't out there uh, seeking truth in the Bible. Um, they're, they're, they're watching Christians. They're watching people of other faiths and saying, you know, how do they live? What's different about them? Um, and asking those questions. And, and truly, the only thing that is different is Christianity. So they're watching us. And they're saying, um, are they any different than me? Do they have something I don't have or do they not? See, God doesn't just arbitrarily tell us as His followers to obey His commands so that He can strip every ounce of fun um, in our lives. Any of you Christians out there lacking for fun, you feel like, in your life? Because that's what the world thinks of us. Uh, you know, The world thinks we never have fun. You know, we, It's impossible to have fun and uh, obey Scripture, right? They're, they're irreconcilable. And you, and you don't understand that until you are a Christian who is obeying Scripture. And you, you notice this joy that comes in obeying Scripture. See, God knows that there's, there's certain things um, where we will find life more abundant, even in this life. There are certain guidelines that if, if we will follow, we will find joy in this life. And that's not our ultimate joy, but it's joy that we can have in this life, and it comes through obedience to Scripture. And it's only in obedience to Scripture that true freedom is found. That, that song said that, right? Where you are, I am free. That is so true for the Christian, and the non-Christian craves this freedom. Because a non-Christian is pulled by his desires and her desires. All the time, I've got to follow my desire, follow my desire. And, and sometimes that's fun for a moment. But at the end of the day, it leaves you thinking, what else is there? I've fulfilled every desire. And I'm still empty. We've got to be different 
as Christians. The world craves that kind of freedom. Our marriages must be a place where we protect the gospel because we protect each other from sin. And one of the ways that we do that um, is through our sex life in marriage, believe it or not. Hard to believe, but Paul even addresses it here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. One of the ways that we protect from sin in our own marriages is through um, our sex life in marriage. The Corinthians were asking Paul if um, sex was even okay to partake in as a Christian. So uh, some were considering um, separating from their spouses in order to make sure that they um, didn't partake in sexual relations because there was this thinking that anything that brings me pleasure uh, can't be holy. And so it was, a, it was a wrong thinking that Paul had to correct and many in the first century, first century Christianity um, shared that wrong thinking and it needed to be corrected by the apostles. And so they're thinking, oh, I shouldn't be having any kind of sex, not even in the context of marriage. So Paul, in these opening verses, he's, he's correcting that thinking. And he actually says that um, your sex life within the context of marriage is a great and a wonderful thing and a necessary thing. And it's a uh, protection against sexual immorality. And so let's read um, the first nine verses here. Um, will you stand with me as, as we read these first nine verses in chapter 7? Paul says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, uh, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. You can have a seat. So this is one of those topics that as a pastor you just honestly rather kind of avoid. Uh, this whole topic um, of sex in general. Um, but it's something nonetheless that, that Paul needed to address in the first century and that needs to be addressed um, here in the uh, 21st century, and something that he addresses here. Paul says here in, in verses 8 and 9 that actually one reason to be married is actually to protect against sexual immorality. That is one reason, one purpose of marriage. Now, it is in no way the only reason to get married, and it is in no way the primary reason to get married, just because um, of the temptation for sexual immorality. But it is a reason. If you are burning with passion, he says, towards one another, it's better that you just get married so that the passion can be expressed in the proper context rather than to sin. He says here. Now, we have to be careful with that. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff to consider before you get married. 
So, so don't just take that as, oh, that, I need to get married. You know, I struggle with sexual immorality, I need to get married. No, let's slow down. That, that's not exactly what's going on here. There's a lot of other stuff to consider before we get married. Um, and we've talked about a lot of that stuff. But marriage in and of itself is a safeguard against sexual sin. That, that's just a fact. Um, and it, therefore, it protects the gospel, the reputation of the gospel. Um, it is the and the only appropriate outlet for sexual expression. And we talked about that several weeks ago. Um, but if we back up, uh, we'll see a little bit more, a lot more in these verses, in fact. Uh, let's look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says to the husband that the husband should render to his wife the affection due her. He's, he's talking about, about sex. And the wife should do the same. He goes on. Now when you are married, you no longer have authority over your own body. You no longer have authority over your own body. And the way that this is written in the Greek, it has this idea of a debt that you owe to your spouse in marriage. Each of us as married people owe a debt uh, to our spouses. And of course, we're, I want to be really careful here because we're not talking about special circumstances here where there is a, a, a physiological problem um, in the marriage bed where, where sex is just not possible. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about cases where this um, authority is abused. We're not talking about that. That certainly happens and that is not what we're talking about today. We're talking about uh, a normal marriage where sexual expression is, is possible and it is not abused. Because that is, I want to be very clear, there's a lot of special circumstances and those special circumstances really need to be handled uh, through the church and through church leadership and with very, very much care. But that's not what we're talking about um, this morning. That is, that is certainly the, the, the rare case. We're talking about typical marriage. And the Bible says that married couples, you, you, you owe a debt to your spouse. You owe a debt to your spouse. Now, this is unlike any other debt um, in the fact that, that, one, you can never repay this debt completely. Um, you can pay off a financial debt, right? You can pay. You never repay this debt completely that you owe to your spouse in marriage. And secondly, um, anybody have any financial debt in here that they're paying off? Anybody? It's okay. We all. We probably a lot of us do. Um, well, um, do you enjoy writing that check? Is that just something that every month you're like, yes, we got. Honey, we get to pay off another 200 bucks from the debt. Yeah, are you excited about that? It's like, ah, it's what you kind of crave and love? Yeah, of course not. Of course not. We, we hate paying debts. Even the word debt, it's like, ugh, terrible word. Well, this debt is unlike any other um, debt because this is a debt that is a joy to pay off in marriage. Um, I think the men in here that are married would, would, would shout a loud amen to that. This is a debt that you will gladly pay. It's a debt that you owe, but it is a debt unlike another debt because it's a debt that I want to pay. It's a debt that, that brings joy. Um, the, the Bible describes sex within marriage as a beautiful, beautiful thing and, and, and really as an, an act of worship um, toward the God who created it. Passages like 
Proverbs 5 and, and, and uh, the book of Song of Solomon uh, really poetically describe the joy of sex within the marriage bed and the joy of paying that debt to your spouse. God created sex as an enjoyable experience, as a great experience. We don't, we don't want to miss, miss out on, 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 on that aspect of it. God created it. He knows it's enjoyable, and He knows it's a, a, a great thing in the proper context. He also knows the proper context that it needs to be expressed. But, that, you know, sex is, is, is a way of, of God has shown His great love towards us. He allows us to have um, pleasurable experiences in this life. So, um, God, it's important to remember that God created this, and one purpose of our marriage is um, to, to please one, in, one another in that way. So the idea here in 1 Corinthians is that when you get married, you make a trade, really. Your body for your spouse's body. Now, men, we definitely got the better end of the deal on that one, for sure. Uh, but nonetheless, this is a trade. That when, when you say, I do, in that marriage covenant, um, you, you are trading your body for her body or, or his body, uh, ladies. Um, so that is, that is what the picture that is painted here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You, you no longer have authority over your own body. And the Bible's saying don't deprive each other of that. Um, it goes on in verse 5. Uh, to say that if you do deprive each other, Satan will tempt you because of your lack of, lack of self-control. In other words, uh, when you get married and, and have a sex life with your spouse, sexual desire doesn't just like go away. It's been satisfied because you had sex. No, it doesn't go away. It continues. Um, it even grows. And so you need that proper outlet to be able to express, um, express those desires. We protect against sin within our marriages by allowing each other to have free access to, to that appropriate outlet. Now, um, there are other ways we protect against sin, of course, but, but this is what Paul is discussing here. But we don't use um, sex as a bargaining tool in our marriage, no. It, it's not a bargaining tool. You know, I want you to do this and, and I could do this. No, that, that's not how you use sex within your marriage. Sex is just part of marriage. You don't own your body anymore. Now, again, we're not talking about the special circumstances where this kind of right is abused, and it certainly is in, in many scenarios. Um, but he says, within marriage, it's only appropriate to withhold sex for a defined period of time for the purpose of fasting and prayer. And then you come back together. So there are times in your marriage that uh, you may be mourning a particular thing or or you may be seeking the Lord on something, certainly. And so you may separate in that way for a time, and then you come back together. It says come back together. Um, he, says, he says, you know, it can be a good thing to seek the Lord for a season, but you always need to come back together to protect each other, to guard each other against sexual temptation. Now, um, this doesn't mean that if you don't give your spouse sex every single time they want it that you're terrible and that your spouse is so weak and will certainly go find another outlet to display their their sexual desire this is not like the bible saying 
well, if, if you're not getting that in your marriage, you can cheat on your wife or your husband. Absolutely not. Let that be um, very clear. That is not what the Bible is saying here. There's many things, many other things at play in a godly marriage, including this overarching determination that I'm not going to bring shame to the name of Christ by having sex outside of my marriage. And an overarching, deep, deep emotional, spiritual, romantic love and commitment to my spouse. But, what it is saying is that we need to set boundaries in our marriage. And this is a boundary that you should be setting up in your marriage as a protection. Uh, You should give that to each other. But protecting the gospel in our marriages is, is about many other boundaries too. Each, each married individual and each uh, single individual for that matter should be well aware and, and very in tune with your propensity to sin. And I hope that each of us understands how easy it is for us to sin. The ease with which we can stray from Christ whether you're single, whether you're married, I hope you understand that you have this flesh trying to tear you away from Christ. You have this, these, these fleshly desires, and, and sometimes it can be very easy to slip into sin. And so, within our marriages, there should be safeguards in place to protect against sin in other ways. And we'll, we will uh, move away from more of the sensitive topics and talk about some other stuff. Um, but, for example, M- Melissa and I, we don't have conversations um, on on text or, or phone call with the opposite sex. We just don't do that. That's not something we feel is appropriate in our marriage. That's a boundary we set. Um, so, ladies, sometimes if you if you were to text me or something, I might have Melissa text you back. You know, or if I'm going to have if I have to have the conversation, then Melissa's going to know about it. She's going to read it. So, you know, there is nothing hidden with the opposite sex um, in, in in mine and Melissa's marriage. That's a boundary. That you, that you need to set in your marriage, really. Um, we're not alone with the opposite sex. That doesn't happen. If it has to happen through work or something, you know, there are situations where you, it just absolutely cannot be avoided. And there's constant contact with my wife. There's, there's, she absolutely knows about it and knows exactly what's going on. It just, it's a boundary that you set in your marriage because you, you want to protect from sin. It's not, it, that's not a distrust thing. And let me tell you that the world will look at you if you set those kinds of boundaries in your marriage and they'll say, wow, you're just so terrible. You're so untrusting. I mean, a woman needs a time for herself. You know, a man needs a time uh, for himself and, and should be able to have uh, good friends that are, that are women. I mean, I'm telling you, if you want to protect your marriage, that's not wise. That is not wise at all to have good friends of the opposite sex within your marriage. You let, your, you let the opposite sex member of your marriage handle that. We have to set boundaries. I will warn you, Christian, not to live by the world's wisdom when it comes to protecting your marriage, when it comes to anything, really. But in this context, when it comes to protecting your marriage, it's a dangerous thing to live by the world's wisdom. Melissa has 100% complete access to my phone anytime she wants it. There's nothing on there. There's nothing on there that I would be in any way ashamed of. This is how marriage should be. 
You got, you got me 100%, honey. You have, you have everything in me. You have um, everything about me. You have every resource I have. There's nothing hidden here. Totally vulnerable. That is marriage, guys. And if you're not ready for that kind of vulnerability, you're not ready to get married. But it's not just that either. We should also be protecting each other's intimacy with Christ as well. That's part of your marriage. That's part of your role as a husband or a wife. We read Ephesians 5 a few weeks ago. And I want to revisit that briefly. Um, In verses 25 through 27, Paul is describing how husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church. And he says in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Paul's saying that husbands should model the love of Christ and their love for their wives by making sure that the word is cleansing her and sanctifying her. That she's in the Word of God. By making sure that that I'm doing everything in my power to ensure that my wife has an active, intimate, growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus. I'm asking her about it. I'm holding her accountable. I'm helping her um, grow in Christ. I should be doing everything in my power um, to be able to know that on Judgment Day, she's going to stand there before Christ with, with, with pride. And she's going to be able to, she's going to be able with confidence rather. Pride's probably not the best word. With confidence that, that my sins are um, forgiven because of Jesus. I want my wife to be able to stand there with, with, with no shame. And that Jesus would look at her and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Husbands, that's got to be your primary concern in your marriage is that moment that your wife will stand before Jesus. Wives, the same with you. That moment that your husband will stand alone in front of Jesus. You're not going to be there to defend him or her. That's them and Jesus. That's it. We've got to push each other Pray for each other and with each other. Spur on each other. Hold each other accountable. We must must really demand the sanctification of our families through the Word of God. Men, we should be leading this charge. Absolutely. We should be leading this charge in our families. But ladies, you should obviously, obviously also be concerned about this for your husband as well, for your children. You have a role in this too. How are you pushing your husband toward the Word? Bottom line is that as husbands and wives, we've got to be driven by that that judgment seat of Christ still, where where our our families, our our children, our our husbands, our wives, they're going to stand before Jesus. And that's got to drive my actions every day on this earth. Because at that point, I'll have no influence. At that point, I have nothing, I have nothing to offer. But every single day, I have an opportunity to pour into my children, to make sure my children are learning the Word of God. 
know the Word of God, see the Word of God demonstrated through mine and Melissa's relationship. Making sure my wife fulfills those same things. And she has a responsibility to me in that, in that, in that way too. But men, you've got to step up in your marriages, in your future marriages. This needs to be led by you. That's biblical. Women can do it. Women have done it. But the way that God intended is that a man would lead his home towards Christ. Ladies, that's something to really consider before you get married. Can this man do that? See, all you single people, or all you people that might be dating or, or even engaged, you're, you're still kind of you're, you're testing that other, that other person, making sure they're worthy of you in marriage. And we'll talk about that more when we talk about uh, singleness, but um, something really to consider. And a gospel-centered marriage always has the primary concern of protecting the gospel in the home. Uh, fourthly, a gospel-centered marriage passes down the gospel to the next generation. It passes down the gospel to the next generation. So um, we paint a picture of the gospel. We partner in spreading the gospel. We're protecting the gospel, the reputation of the gospel, and we're passing down the gospel to the next generation. One of the purposes of marriage, uh, one of the reasons to be married, although again, this is not the primary reason to be married, but one of the reasons to get married is to reproduce. Procreation. God says in, in Genesis 1, 28, after He creates male and female. He says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Tells them, multiply Adam and Eve. One purpose of getting married is procreation. I think we live in a society where children, uh, having children is almost seen like a prison. Like a a curse. We've delayed marriage so much that it's now really weird... um, to, to think about getting married like in your early 20s. That's really weird for people. And if you do that, people are going to be like, whoa, hang on, shouldn't you slow down? It's weird for people to get married in their early 20s. And it, it's even weirder maybe for, to, to even think about kids until you're like 30. You know, you need to be, uh, well, you got to make sure everything is in order, everything's perfectly put together, then we'll have kids. Um, parents, we, we know that this is impossible, right? You're never going to have everything perfectly together before you have kids. There's always going to be something that, that maybe you could have done before you have kids. Absolutely. You're never going to get to that place. At the same time, uh, kid, having kids is a huge deal. There's a lot to be weighed there. There's a lot to be considered as a married couple. Enormous responsibility um, so, so there's a lot of things you need to weigh before having children. But we've gone from a society uh, in biblical times where um, having kids was almost like a god. If I don't have a child, I can't pass on anything. I can't pass on my name. That's kind of how it was in biblical times. To now, um, in, in, in modern times, again, it seems like uh, the, having children is it, it seen like a curse. Like a terrible thing that ruins your freedom and ruins your life. And I think we need to find balance in our viewpoint on children. Um, Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, it says that children are a heritage from the Lord. 
The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. I love that picture uh, painted by the psalmist here. Um, kids are like arrows in, in, in the hands of a warrior. And I think of what a blessing children are to a family. Just in the fact that God has entrusted uh, to you as a married couple, has entrusted to you this little miracle of life if you have children. But then I also think of, of what a tool children can be for the gospel. And that's the, really the picture that's painted there. It's like a warrior who has his, his quiver full of arrows. Every, every child is an opportunity to spread the gospel to the next generation. It's another tool for the gospel. Our children certainly are tools to spread the gospel. Of course, children come with many challenges, um, but they're also a great opportunity to pass down the good news of Jesus um, and to ensure that the next generation knows Jesus more than our generation does, more than my generation does. Um, Less than 5% of people who claim to be born again will ever lead someone to Christ, guys. That's where we're at in our Christianity. People that claim to be Christians aren't leading other people to Christ. Some estimate that only 4% of, of my generation has a true relationship with Christ. I don't know where that number necessarily comes from, but some, some estimates are that only 4% of our generation has a true, are truly born again. Can you imagine, if those numbers are true, what those numbers might look like for the next generation? What a sad, uh, sad world, even more sad than, than, than we can imagine. As married couples, we, we really need to be finding ways to get the gospel to the next generation by being homes where the gospel is proudly proclaimed and by being homes where people feel safe and they feel wanted, they feel like they're loved, they feel the love of Christ in your home. Whether you have children of your own or not, um, I'm not trying to say that the only way that this can be done is through reproducing. Please don't misunderstand. And I'm not trying to say that if you, if you can't reproduce or you choose not to reproduce, um, that, that you're doing something wrong. That's not at all what I'm saying. Of course not. In fact, there, there are many couples in this world who would love to have children and for whatever reason, God hasn't allowed that. They, they can't have uh, biological children. And for those, my heart goes out to them. And I hate that for them. And that's certainly a tragedy in their lives that, that, that they have to mourn. Uh, and certainly considering we as a church family have to come around uh, those people and help them. But there are many other ways as married couples in Christ, that we should be actively seeking to get the gospel to the next generation. The key, I think, is determining as a married couple that we're going to make an impact in the lives of children in some way. Whether they're our biological children, whether they're not. Children need to see homes where the picture of the gospel is presented clearly. Single people, this is something, again, to consider before entering into marriage. Children need to see homes where, where, where mom and dad do love each other and they love Christ above all. They need to see um, that picture. And they need to see fathers who love them 
with an unconditional selfless love. They need to see nurturing mothers who display the comfort that is in Jesus Christ. Um, And they need to know the reason for all that is because Jesus has redeemed us from our sin. And He can do the same for them. He can reconcile them to our perfect heavenly Father. James 1.27, it says this, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James says this is, uh, this is one way that it looks like, how it looks to practice what you preach about Christ. That's pretty much what the, the book of, of James is, is, is. This is how you practice what you preach. This is not really how to be saved. It's you are saved. Now this is what that should look like if you're truly saved. This is what your life should look like. He said um, one way to do this is that Christians, we need to be loving and caring for widows and for orphans. Now, as a single pe- person, uh, you, you have this opportunity and responsibility as well, right? I mean, single people aren't excluded from this in any way. This isn't some task for only married couples. Um, you can absolutely find ways to care for orphans and to care for widows as a single person, and you're commanded to. In fact, we just talked about that in our small group, is that we'd love to have someone that would have a heart for widows, you know, in, in this church and just to start something to do with visiting widows um, and helping other churches and visiting the widows they have in their churches. So um, something I think that, that should be considered as a single person and as married couples. However, as married couples, we do have a particular gift and a particular responsibility, I think, to be able to share with orphans in particular in this command. Um, because of the destruction of the family in our society, because fathers have, 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 have sat by and watched kids go fatherless, many orphans may never be able to see a healthy picture of marriage in their lives, of a mom and dad who do love each other and love them sacrificially. They may never get to experience that God-ordained picture of Christ's love for the church in a godly marriage. They may never get to really experience that firsthand. Now, that's not at all to say that a single parent or a single person can't, can't, can't lead kids to Christ, can't lead their own kids to Christ. Absolutely, you can. And a child is much better off with one parent sold out to Christ than with two that, that don't care about Christ. You're much better off with that single parent that, that loves Christ. Absolutely. And single parents can have a huge, huge, huge impact on their children for Christ. So please don't think I'm understating that in any way. But married couples do have a particular gift of being able to paint this picture of the gospel. That's, that's, that's what the institution of marriage is, is for. And that should be shared with the next generation in some way. Whether it be by, by procreation or whether it be by um, adoption or, or fostering or maybe, maybe it's a big brother or big sister type program that you can get involved with um, and you can show some children about Christ. Maybe, maybe it's just the financial means to support um, single parents you know, or, to, or to, to support uh, someone else's adoption or whatever. You know, however, however that could take place. Maybe it's financially. Maybe um, it's being the couple that does children's ministry in the church even though maybe you don't even have children of your own or, or 
who opens their home to babysitting, gives other parents a break. Uh, maybe it's sponsoring an orphan just monetarily. You can do that as well. There are many, many, many ways to get the gospel to the next generation through your marriage. And I'm just saying you should be about that. As a married couple, we should be about the next generation and about getting Christ to them. That doesn't mean we're necessarily having children, but it means we're concerned about children in whatever, in some capacity. Um, please don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying that, that married couples have to have kids. Um, I'm not saying that married couples should absolutely foster or adopt or something like that. But all, all I'm saying is that we need to take seriously the gift of our marriage, the picture that our marriage paints. And we need to find a way to get that to the next generation in some way. Our children need to see that mom and dad sold out for Jesus, that love each other. That's the God-ordained uh, family unit, and it paints a picture of Christ's love for those kids. And, and every child needs, a, needs to see that in some capacity. In the same way, I'm not saying that singles or single parents are inadequate to pass the gospel in any way. Absolutely not. Um, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to pass down the gospel to your children. Um, and I, w- I would encourage our, our singles to find ways to do that as well, to pass the gospel down to the next generation. Of course, as singles, uh, procreation should not be obviously an option uh, that, that you would look at as a viable option for you until you get married. But uh, use your gift of singleness to make an impact on the next generation. Singleness is absolutely a gift as well with some unique responsibilities of its own. And we're going to talk about singleness um, at another time. Paul even says what a gift singleness is here in verse 7. But the point is, and we keep coming back uh, to this, the point of your marriage is the gospel. It's just not self-fulfillment. It's not meeting every desire you have. It's not even your joy or your peace, although that is, those are absolutely part of your marriage. But the point of your marriage needs to be the gospel as Christians, displaying the gospel, spreading the gospel, living out the gospel in holiness, protecting the gospel in that way, um, passing down the gospel to the next generation. We have one more topic to discuss on marriage that we'll, we'll take next week, and that's persevering through the power of the gospel. That's our responsibility in marriage as well. Um, what a powerful testimony to see a couple who perseveres through hardship, uh, trusting in Jesus to see them through. Um, you know, Satan has really done a, a masterful job of, of trying to destroy the family unit in this world uh, through TV shows, um, through um, difficulties in marriage, uh, through things like that, through a variety of ways. Satan's done a great job of trying to destroy um, the family unit. And the reason is because the home that a child grows up in, uh, really the people in that home have the, have the biggest opportunity to impact those children. The biggest opportunity to impact those children. More so than their teachers are going to have. More so than, than um, friends are going to have. Than outside, um, outside family members are going to have. And, and more so even than the church is going to have. 
The people that that child lives with have the biggest opportunity to share the gospel with that child. So we have such a responsibility to make sure that our marriages are are God-honoring. That's a really exciting thing to consider, but but it's also something that that is a huge responsibility, Um, something that should, as we enter into marriages or as we're in our marriages, should cause us some some fear and trembling, guys, and some, some pause, and let's consider how are we viewing our marriage. God um, can absolutely restore and make whole any situation, even, even a broken marriage. He can bring good out of that. But He does give also guidelines for what's best for us, what's best for us through His Word. Um, as we close, you know, I want to consider what all this talk of marriage is for, and that is that the name of Jesus might be proclaimed through our singleness, through our marriage, through, through whatever um, situation we find ourselves in. Some of you um, may have grown up in homes where the gospel wasn't presented through the marriage of, of, of mom and dad. It just wasn't presented really in any way. It may be where, where a father or a mother was abusive or... or um, left the home, maybe maybe you just grew up in a, in a home where Jesus just wasn't talked about. Uh, some of you are left with some major difficulties, trusting people and even trusting God because of what you went through as a child, because that, that family unit um, was, was, was messed up. And um, I want you to know that, that although it is God's, Design that our marriage was, was, would paint a picture of Christ's love. Many times in our marriages we fail miserably at this. We, we, we do fail miserably at this. We are fallible humans, and, and sometimes we, we fail to paint that picture of, of the gospel. But I also want you to know that, that we serve an absolutely infallible, perfect God who is perfectly trustworthy. And that God has sent His only Son as a death sacrifice to pay for your sin that separates you from God. He has sought out sinners in our sin. He sought us out in our sin and He's made it so that through Jesus we can now approach Him boldly if we'll come through Jesus. And so I hope that whatever situation, whatever tragedy you've seen, in your life, that you can trust the perfect father, the perfect um, groom for the bride of Christ. He is so trustworthy and so loving. He loves you with an unconditional love that will never change. And I want to invite you this morning. And Jesus says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. There is rest in uh, Jesus today. So I want, I want you to bow your heads as we close. and um, I want to invite, uh, invite you this morning to be saying, I don't know Jesus, um, but I think I want to know Jesus this morning. I want to know Him. I want to have a relationship with this God. You know, I, I haven't seen this modeled maybe in my life, but I want this kind of love in my life. I want to know Christ. And if that's you this morning, 
And there's really no magic in any prayer that you would say to God, but, but, but you just tell God, Lord, I've surrendered my life. I repent of my sin. I repent of my sin. And I thank you for sending Jesus to cover that sin. And I surrender my life to you. ask you to save me. The Bible says that if you've repented of sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It also says there's now no condemnation in Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. See, if you've repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus for your salvation, He has completely taken your sin out of the way, covered it completely. Now God the Father looks at you as His child. He has adopted you, and He is the perfect Heavenly Father. And so if that's you this morning, you say, this morning I've given my life to Jesus. Uh, nobody's looking around um, but, but uh, so that I know how to be praying and so that I can follow up with you. Um, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking around. Anybody say, you know, this morning I've, I've received Jesus. I don't see any hands. And so my, my prayer is that we've all received Jesus in this room. That's my, that's my, my desperate prayer this morning. And if not, that, that God would, would uh, give you another, uh, another chance through His Spirit. Uh, so many things for us as Christians to consider, I think, about the past few weeks. Uh, both married men and women and also singles looking forward to that possibility of marriage someday. We must take very seriously this covenant relationship of marriage. Because it really has so much greater implications than just the here and now. And, and what a privilege it is. What a privilege and a gift it is. But I want you to, I want you to spend a few moments in prayer uh, with Christ. Maybe, it's, maybe there's some sin in your life that you need to repent of. And maybe, maybe um, you just want to ask the Lord as a single and say, Lord, I just want to become, I want to become that, that husband or wife that I, that I need to be for, for my husband or wife someday. Lord, help me to become that. Transform me. Open my eyes to the sin that I'm missing that I don't, I don't see in my own life. Transform me, Lord. And maybe as a, as a married person, you need to, to cry out to Jesus this morning as well and say, Lord, I, I'm so sorry. I've been, I've been doing it my way and not your way. And maybe today's the day of repentance for you. Maybe you just want to thank God for the gift that you have this morning, whether it be singleness or whether it be marriage, both are a gift. Um, I don't know, but I want to give you a few moments um, to do that, and then I'm going to pray for us, and, and, and Stephen will do some announcements. Father, we're so thankful and grateful for your word. Um, Lord, some, some passages can be a little bit uh, difficult to, to walk through as a church body, but um, but we thank you for every every passage in your word, and we thank you for what you've what you have taught us through your word this morning. Uh, Lord, I, take, I pray that we would each take uh, take this message and, and apply it to our particular situation, whether we be single or or married, Lord, and help us help us to become 
um, what you want us to become in Christ. Just transform us, Lord. Um, Lord, I do ask you to search our hearts. Show us the sin uh, that, that we're not really privy to, Lord. We're not aware of. Lord, bring that to the forefront so that we can repent. Lord, we want to live lives that will be pleasing to you. And God, I pray that as we go, the gospel will be primary in our lives, um, in whatever situation we're in. Lord, wherever we work, wherever we go to school, whatever it may be, um, let us take the gospel with us this morning as a light. Lord, give us boldness to engage our culture with Christ this week, Father. Give us boldness in those moments to just share, Lord, to initiate, initiate evangelism opportunities this week, God. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for loving us first. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.